Remember the good old days before Microsoft Word had autosave? You'd type up some important document and then your computer would freeze and you'd lose hours of work just because you forgot to hit save? Well, that's what it's like going online without ExpressVPN. Every time you're connected to an unencrypted network, whether it's in an airport, a hotel, a cafe, or anywhere, your online data is not secure. Any person on that same network who knows what they're doing can gain access to your personal data. Bank logins, credit card details, passwords, all the stuff you don't want people seeing. Unfortunately, hacking has become much easier than it used to be. People don't even have to be exceptionally skilled to do it, and there's a lot of money to be made by selling your information on the dark web. ExpressVPN stops hackers from stealing your data by creating a secure, encrypted tunnel between your device and the internet. It's incredibly easy to use. Once the app is running, you literally click one button to get protected. And it works on your phone, laptop, tablet, and more, so you can stay protected on the go. I've been using ExpressVPN for a little while now, and I can rest easy knowing my info is safe and secure. I've heard horror stories of people who've been hacked, and it sounds like a massive pain to try to get any resolution in the aftermath, so I am not interested in finding out what that process is like. Secure your online data today by visiting expressvpn.com slash slashfilm. That's E-X-P-R-E-S-S-V-P-N dot com slash slashfilm, and you can get an extra three months free. expressvpn.com slash slashfilm. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Slash Film Daily for May 7th, 2018. On today's show, we're going to share what we've been up to in the water cooler and talk about the latest film and TV news. This is Slash Film Editor-in-Chief Peter Soda, and joining me on today's podcast are Slash Film Managing Editor Jacob Hall. Hello, hello. And Slash Film Senior Writer Ben Pearson. Hey, what's going on? So it's actually been a while since we've had Jacob on the podcast, Um Jacob, you've been uh, going through a couple things. Uh, I guess we should just jump into the water cooler and talk about it. Uh, what's been going on? Oh, well, uh, last Tuesday, I woke up around 5 a.m. with the worst pain of my entire life in my lower abdomen. And I tried sleeping off. I tried changing positions. I tried walking around the house. And it just kept getting worse. So I woke my wife up. We drove to the ER. Um, what, we... what, what kind of pain? What does it feel oh. like? just like being stabbed repeatedly in the lower intestines and <sighs> like like you constantly need to go to the bathroom while this is happening but when you get in the bathroom you can't go so it was a combination of uh constipation while being stabbed by someone who hates you <laughs> it was bad and uh, we and the doctors originally thought it was appendicitis they, they were prepared to say let's get you in the knife we just got to do the cat scan or whatever scan it is for the, for the lower abdomen and uh make sure it's that's what it is and turns out that I had kidney stones, which is a uh, sign of the fact that I'm no longer as spry as I used to be. I'm, I'm a white man approaching a certain decade, which means that this is just now a fact of life now. <laughs> and it was the worst pain of my entire life. And it's one of those cases where I know a lot of people are probably listening going, ew, why is Jacob talking about his kidney stones <laughs> in this movie podcast? And it's the same reason why I've always been open about my, about my depression and why it's why I came out as bi a few years ago. It's because if I talk about my kidney stones here, somebody out there is going to say, oh, um, I have those pains. Or, oh, if I have this happens to me, I won't be as ashamed to go to the doctor. So in the same way, you should definitely come out of the closet. Uh, you should definitely take medicine <laughs> for your depression. If you have kidney stones, don't worry. Drink lots of water. Go to the ER and get yourself taken care of. I, I love how you have uh, related coming out of the closet to kidney stones. Yeah. But uh, what is personal things? <laughs> what is the maintenance on something like this? Oh, goodness. Uh, that's why I'm seeing I'm seeing a urologist, a specialist in the coming days, hopefully, uh, uh, to figure out what the maintenance is. In the meantime, I was just given 
some pills to take with meals to help um, uh, keep from happening in the interim. I was giving some extremely great pain pills in case it recurred. And that's how I spent lots of last week. Um, there were a few days last week where Ben and Brad and you were uh, working on the site and running things in my absence because I was high uh, and sleeping a lot. It was really, really <laughs> great, actually, when I wasn't hurt, hurting. Did, uh, did you watch any movies while you were on oh, pain meds? Oh, I did. Uh, I I clicked. I spent my two ninety nine on Amazon Prime to watch uh, Geostorm, the uh, Gerard <laughs> Butler classic from last year, and that is a motion picture, guys. Uh, I, I, no one saw it. No one saw it last year. It was it was a big box office bomb, and a lot of people at the time found the making of it more interesting because it was the directorial debut of Dean Devlin, uh, known for producing movies like Godzilla, the one from nineteen ninety eight, and Independence Day. Sort of Roland Emmerich's partner in crime for those 90s disaster movies. So this, this very much wants to be like those. Uh, but Dean Devlin is not the director Roland Emmerich was or is. And the movie was famously uh, went under re- huge reshoots. But it spent $15 million or more reshooting the movie and deleting subplots, adding subplots, adding new characters, trying to make sense of it. And you watch it now, and it's so many different movies at once. It is, in the near future... Uh, global warming has led to superstorms that led to the world coming together to build a satellite network that controls the weather. But then somebody takes control of the satellite network and uses it to create superstorms to declare war on planet Earth, <laughs> destroying all kinds of things. So then you're watching two movies, three movies. You're watching a series of disaster movies where it's tornadoes and hurricanes and blizzards destroying the world. You're watching Gerard Butler up in space trying to find out who the mole is, who's helping the, who's helping um, take control of the satellites, and this sort of mystery investigation science thriller. And down on Earth, you have Gerard Butler's uh, brother trying to um, protect the president from people who want to kill him and assassinate <laughs> him with the weather. It is a mess, but holy crap, guys. It is, uh, it is definitely a, it is a thing that exists, and I'm happy it does, because, oh my goodness. Um, it, it probably... It, it reminded me so much of, of like... You know those stereotypes of, of you, see, you imagine a Hollywood producer chomping a cigar, listening to a cocaine-addled pitch <laughs> from some producer who is just like wearing a flowery shirt with half unbuttoned, sort of lean back and lean forward very excidentally as he gets higher and higher and higher throughout his pitch. That's what this movie reminded me of. That it, it, it has to be a result of that because I don't see how this movie gets made otherwise. It is so bonkers. And as a connoisseur of bad things, as somebody who thinks that Gerard <laughs> Butler... Current Gerard Butler. See, forget sexy young Gerard Butler. I like grizzled, bloated, sweaty Gerard Butler who stars in terrible movies, and this just fits that. <laughs> that fits that perfectly, and I had a great time. But that could have been the drugs talking. Maybe I'll revisit I, it another time. I think it might have been the drugs talking because I saw this. This is like one of the first movies I saw with my uh, current iteration of Movie Pass because I was like, oh, I can see any movie. I'll go see Geostorm, and. um <laughs> And I was expecting it to be so bad it's good, as you describe, but it just was, like, so bad it's bad <laughs> for, for me. I don't know. I mean, there were some moments where, like, uh, you know, an on-screen character, you know, you know, says it's a geostorm. Right? <laughs> yeah. Um, it, like, I, I wish they were more uh, aware of it, it, it should have been, like. I don't know. I don't, I don't want to say like Sharknado because I don't even think they're aware that they're making a bad movie. Uh, but like, I don't know. It it sounds like the perfect setup to have these cool tentpole action sequences. But then when when you actually get to the movie and you realize half the action sequences are like people freezing, 
like within a few <laughs> seconds or like you know what the the ground opens up because the molten core isn't that what happens or <laughs> yeah they, they destroy uh i guess hong kong or the hong kong or shanghai shanghai by overheating the temperature until the gas mains explode <laughs> Yeah, it <laughs> see this sounds so much more interesting than it actually is. But like it's not on the level of like the other disaster movies where like there's interesting ways of people dying. Oh, that's why I liked it though because it, it it's it's pitching itself as a movie that's epic and bold. But you see execution execution is so half-hearted and lame. And that's why I liked it. Uh you do uh you know you recapping it and uh kind of putting it in perspective how uh insanely nuts the the structure of that movie actually is though um i uh have you uh did you watch anything else did you play any video games um i played a lot of video games because uh, when i'm lying there on, on on the couch if i try watching a movie or a tv show um i usually will fall asleep when i'm on my meds uh like I, my wife and i started watching er and hulu and I'm, I'm enjoying er but it's hard for me to sit awake for an entire episode of er even uh so I've played Bloodborne again. I've talked about this video game twice now on this show. It's my favorite game of all time. This gothic horror uh, fantasy action game set in this sort of Victorian Europe world uh, where it kind of mixes H.P. Uh, Lovecraft with like dungeon crawling action adventure. And it's just this famously difficult, demanding, challenging game that I beat uh, a while back and put 100 hours into it. And this time, so I'm going to play it again. But since I knew the game already, I was able to beat it. And the time it spent me four days to beat it again. It took me maybe six weeks before. So it was just a sort of, if I wasn't asleep or working, I was playing Bloodborne again. That game is really good. I know it was actually a, a free game for uh, PlayStation Plus subscribers uh, a few months ago, if you happen to have downloaded it and uh, haven't given it a shot yet. It is very difficult, but it is very rewarding once you get into its rhythms. And I, I said, if you want to hear more about this, so I talked about it with uh, Dan Trachtenberg on an episode of the show a few weeks ago. We we're talking about video game movies. Uh, as an example of a game that I'm not so sure if it could be a movie, but it would be a really cool movie if they actually tried and did it right, because it has so much atmosphere and tone. And just walking to a room in that game fills you with so much dread, because the easiest enemies in the game can still wipe the floor with you. <laughs> okay, uh, I, I'll tell you what I've been up to. I, I have a lot of stuff here, so I, I'm warning you in advance. Uh, first up, I played a board game called Dinosaur Island. Have you heard about this, Jacob? I almost backed it on Kickstarter and then decided not to, because I wasn't sure about the art. Yeah, the art is not good, but this board game is basically Jurassic Park the game uh, to the point that uh, even the the cover of the the box is like done. Dinosaur Island is done in the Jurassic Park font, and there is even a John Hammond like character with a uh, like on the cover of the the game. And you're basically building your own Jurassic Park against other people. You're building a dinosaur theme park, and uh, the first player token is a, a mosquito in amber. Uh, there's dinosaur meeples. It's a, it's a lot of fun. It's an, it's actually a good game, but I agree with you. The art is kind of like they went for this neon, uh, 1980s kind of, or like, I guess nineties, nineties was more neon, right? Um, so they went for like a neon aesthetic and it's, uh, either you like it or you don't. Um, so yeah. Uh, but I really like that. And, uh, you know, I'd say if you like board games, check it out. I think you could buy it in stores now. Um, and, uh, what else did I do? Oh, after I played board games, I went to Howling Rays. Uh, Ben, have you heard about this place? I have, and I tried to go there once, but the line was so long, like hours and hours long that I, uh, I didn't 
time it properly. So I have yet to go and actually eat there, but I'm looking forward to doing it. I think I'm just going to have to like carve out a Saturday and wake up at 7 a.m. and go get in line first thing because it's like a notoriously long wait to eat at this place. Yes. Uh, you know, I didn't really know anything about this place, but my friend Jeff, who is all about uh, getting limited stuff and, you know, there's a limited amount of chicken every day at Howling Rays. It used to be a um, a food truck. They opened up a place in Chinatown and uh, they, yeah, notoriously have all day long, hour long, you know, Multiple hour long waits. Uh, we showed up at the end of the day. We didn't. Uh, luckily, I had some people in line that were there, and I, we didn't have to wait that long. Uh, but this is like uh, Nashville style fried chicken, so it's um, spicy. Uh, they have different levels. They have just country fried chicken, uh, uh, mild, medium, hot, and then howling, and then howling plus plus. <laughs> Um, I just tried the medium and that was, uh, you know, I, I had, uh, I had, um, waffles and chicken there and on the weekend you can have waffles and chicken. Uh, and that was great. I think the, uh, the, uh, syrup cuts down on the heat a little bit, but, uh, I will say this after I was walking away from this place, my belly like did not like the spices that were in there like, <laughs> in it and it was uh it was it was funny one of my friends uh reza tried one of the i don't even think he tried hauling plus plus i think he just tried the normal hauling and he had one bite and it was like done like he like needed like milk and they got him like a glass of milk like it, it was uh but this is like one of those places that um you know, I've been to many wing places that have like hot wings, and this isn't like one of those gimmicky places like that. Like the food's actually good. Um, so if you're in LA, you're coming to LA, I would say, uh, you know, uh, chisel some time out. Uh, you know, plan it well, unlike Ben, and go to Hauling <laughs> Rays. Check it out. It's in Chinatown, so it's uh, not near anything, but uh, it's worth checking out. Uh, I've also been watching Westworld. Are you guys caught up on Westworld? Yes. I haven't seen last night's episode, but I've seen the first two. Yeah. Um, I'm enjoying it. I'm going to be very vague, so people that haven't aren't watching it, it's not going to be any spoilers. But uh, I'm kind of missing out, guys, on the mystery box that was kind of the focus of the first season. I know Ben wasn't as, uh, you know, enamored with that in the first season, but, like, now that there's very little theorizing going on i think uh it's it's not as exciting of a show but it's still good uh ben uh am i wrong i mean <laughs> i don't know man i i watched last night's episode and i won't say anything to avoid spoiling anything for jacob and anybody else but i if i wasn't uh, if i didn't need to watch a show for work like to be able to write up articles about theories and whatever we need coverage wise on slash film i would probably stop watching after last night's episode oh so uh, you're in agreement with me here i just i think it's not yeah like you know i didn't like the way the mystery box aspect unfolded last season but i did like the fact that there were a bunch of mysteries involved um i, I think there's a distinction there and this season it's just not doing it for me. I think the writing is has really I mean, the writing, honestly, in my opinion, has never been that great on the show. And it just doesn't grapple with the big ideas that are sort of inherent in its premise in a way that I wish they would. It's, it's, it's like they are doing this really surface level exploration of. Uh, this robot revolution and they're, they're not actually digging into the deeper um, 
levels of what any of this is actually meaning. And I also don't like any of the characters on the show. So it's really hard for me to uh, to reconcile all of that stuff and want to keep watching. So I think I'm going to keep watching, but just more out of obligation than enjoyment for me. And Dolores was such an interesting character in the first season. This season, she's just kind of a gung ho on a you know tale of a revenge, and she's there with a gun. I don't, uh, Jacob. You've only seen the first two episodes thus far. Am I am I wrong? I don't think you guys are wrong. Uh, like I said, I think it's. I'm still liking the show. I'm liking it a lot. I just think that the show is definitely digging its heels into what it does, and if you. And what it does is apparently this, whatever season two is. And I, uh, Chris Evangelista is writing our reviews for us this year. And I know he's also very conflicted, but I think I'm on the positive end. I think I like it more than you guys and I like it more than Chris, who I think is warmer than both of you. And I, I like how it's not afraid to be off-putting. And I, I like how it's just this big, mucky, gray mass of ideas um, that are just being thrown at the wall. I am appreciating that, but I totally understand why it can feel messy unfocused or just unlikable for lots of people yeah um and another thing i was watching last night i watched the first uh three episodes of cobra kai have either of you checked out this show no i don't have youtube read so i probably won't be watching this one i uh have not watched that but i did watch karate kid for the first time just a few weeks ago and i really liked it so i'm interested in checking this out oh you should um well ben first of all you don't need YouTube Red to watch the first two episodes. They're for free on YouTube. <laughs> yeah, um, I know. But then if I really love it, then I'm going to be forced to subscribe to YouTube Red. And Peter, it's just way easier to not get emotionally invested. <laughs> I don't know. I, I know I've said this on the podcast before, but YouTube Red is well worth the $10 or whatever I pay for it because it just lets me skip all the commercials and all the ads, none of those pop-ups on YouTube videos. I, I don't even watch any of the YouTube Red originals until now. Uh, I, I was just paying t- the ten dollars to get rid of the ads, and that was well worth it for me. But uh, okay, so I started watching Cobra Kai because my friends were like all uh, you know pr- insane praise for Cobra Kai, and uh, I watched the first episode, and I I thought they were joking. Like I, I really like was like this is so bad. Like the acting is bad. Uh, th- like every five minutes they're showing clips from the Karate Kid, like in flashbacks. It seems like it, all the characters in the show, all they do is have flashbacks of events that happened in the first Karate Kid. Um, and like you know they didn't have any other life other than that. And um, and I don't know, like the music is bad. it just like directed bad, and I was just. So did not understand the love for this. Thank God they talked me into keeping with it because uh, after a few episodes, uh, it, it is a really fun show. I It is not the best version of what the show could be, and I'm, I'm sure it's going to get better. I've heard it, it progress as it progresses throughout the season, it gets better. Uh, but uh, I would I would say that if you give Cobra Kai a chance... Um, you know, watch at least three episodes, and it's very easy. It's a very binge bingeable show. Um, it's very easy to watch, like three episodes. Um, I'm I'm very curious to hear what Jacob thinks of the show because, uh, you know, I was texting with my friends who, when I was during the first episode, I was like, "What is wrong with these actors? These are bad." My and my friend Jeff responded, uh, "The acting in the original Karate Kid was bad," and I was like, "Well, one of the actors in the original Karate Kid got nominated for Best Supporting Actor for the original Karate Kid." And he was like, "And that actor is dead." 
<laughs> so, um, well, I disagree with that. Having just watched Karate Kid, I think the cast is good. I have yeah. no problem with the acting in that movie. Yeah. No. Um. It it, it is. This is the, the interesting thing about Karate Kid. I mean, about Cobra Kai is it takes a lot of. It, it is a good nostalgia bomb, but it also does some interesting things with what you ex- how you expect things to go. Um, just the fact that uh, the Johnny character is kind of the the protagonist in this it should tell you that things are not you know the way you think you would think like a Karate Kid sequel would go. And uh, it, it's interesting how they play with uh, audiences' expectations. Um, I have one last thing. Uh, to talk about, I know we're going super long with this water cooler, but it's it's fine. Um, and I know every time I say when we're running long with the show, I get like a billion emails telling me that people don't care how long the show is. <laughs> so you don't have to send me those emails. I'm just saying, I'm just acknowledging that I know that we're going long here. Um, I wanted to mention one thing. I, I was at the Magic Castle last week, and I was trying out a new trick on a woman I had met in line, a group of people actually, but the trick is done on one person. And I wanted to get your, you guys, uh, what I wanted to hear what you guys thought of this because, um, I, the magic I like is magic, uh, that isn't just a trick. It like, you know, like any great art, it gets you to think about things in a greater way, like themes or question, you know, things about your life that kind of thing. like you know, uh Dirk Del- Delgardio does a great job of doing magic like that uh, uh with his show in and of itself uh and I uh there, there's actually a Texas magician named Jared Koff that does a great job um and I'm trying to like aim towards that not to say I'm a good magician or or capable of great levels of art but uh, I'm aiming to try to do stuff more in that uh, the li- line of things that aren't just tricks, but are something more than a trick. And um, this recent um, trick that I do, uh, I've just been trying it out. And it is when I approach someone with it, I approach them. It, this is not a, a magic pr- trick per se. I, it, this is a psychological um uh, test. Um, and I basically have them, I put them in a situation. I'm like, you know, I imagine you wake up in this situation and, uh, they give me answers based on the situation of like what they would do in the situation. And they give a bunch of answers. And then after they give me the answers, and I'm being very unclear because I don't want to ruin the trick if you ever <laughs> see me do it. But, uh, uh, after they give me answers and I ask for honest answers and, uh, I basically give them a reading of what it means about them and a situation that they're currently dealing with in their life. Uh, it is based on psychology. It's based on, you know, something that's holding them back and their answers uh, theoretically <laughs> have some kind of meaning to them. Uh, and at the end of the trick, it, there does end up being a trick. There ends up being a, uh, a card trick of some kind that relates to it. And at the end of that card trick, the person uh, does something with a car. I don't know. I don't know how to explain it, but basically I did this to this woman and, uh, she had tears in her eyes at the end of the thing, uh, at the end of the, I guess, trick, uh, because, uh, I, I think this, you know, hit her on a deeper level of something that she's currently dealing with. Uh, I, I don't even know what it was. She was asking me questions after, um, but, uh, 
as a magician, I, I don't like um, many magicians don't like psychics because psychics are, you know, they're liars. They're pretending to use these vagaries to, you know, get, you know, get money out of you. Uh, this isn't necessarily like a psychic reading. I'm, I am doing some cold reading here. Um, but at the end of this, like when, when th- this lady was crying, like I, it, it was uh, very powerful as uh, to say you, you did magic that could bring someone to, to tears. But at the same time, it made me feel kind of uh, unsure about myself. Like, like, should I be doing that? Like, is this wrong? Like she started asking me questions about herself. And I'm like, I, I don't know the answer. So, do you know what I mean? Like, I don't have any psychic ability. Like this isn't about psychic. This is a psychological experiment. Uh, hmm. Is, is there a, what is the, the moral and be good? And you know, like is, is there a, what, what do you think, Ben? I um, I don't know. I mean, it sounds like, it sounds like if, if the uh, illusion or trick is working that well, you may have waded into territory that is a little bit too deep for you. Like, I, I don't know if I think it's probably just a comfort level thing on your part. Like if you can handle the uh, notion of what this is going to or has the potential to do to people and you're willing to accept that responsibility, then that's one thing. And And yeah, I think it's totally different than the idea of like, asking people for money in order to manipulate them, you know, like psychics or whatever. What you're doing is totally different from that. So I think, you know, on a moral level, you're completely like absolved of any sort of uh, conflict there. But um, I don't know, Jacob, what do you think? Uh, I think that uh, there's nothing wrong with an emotionally moving uh, act of art, whether it be, you know, a book, a movie or a magic trick. In this case, I do, I do wonder if um, uh, not necessarily that uh, Peter should go open by saying, um, by the way, this could have an impact on you. Are you okay with this? Um, I do. I do wonder if is, is there is there like an acceptable way for a, a performer of any kind to say, hey, if this isn't for you, uh, or here's a warning of what this could put you through. Are you ready for this? Because I, I don't think a movie should open with that. So why should a magician? <laughs> so <laughs> I'm very curious to see uh, if that's even a um, something that's been considered in this community. It's also tough because, like, you know, I did this and uh, she was with a group of friends, like, you know, just two other people. And, like, you know, having, <laughs> I mean, that kind of, I don't want to say breakdown. It wasn't a breakdown. But uh, in front of other people, like, I'm not sure. I don't know. It was very interesting. I got to think more about it. But I don't think at any time I'm presenting it as if I have psychic abilities of any kind. I'm just presenting it as like here is a test, you know, that's based on Freud, which uh, is not actually true. But uh, <laughs> it's uh, based on some psychological uh, 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 tests. Um, but um, I don't know. It, it, it's really a trick. And at the end of the day, I, I do say it's a trick. And I, I do think at the end of the end of the trick, it does give a positive motivation for them to overcome what they're dealing with. Um, it's just, I don't know if, if you guys out there have any thoughts on this, I'd be interested to hear what you think, uh, you know, send them to Peter at slash film.com. Uh, yeah. So, uh, let's get on to the, the last bit of our water cooler and Ben, you watched uh dear white people season two. Yes. Uh, I really, really enjoy the first season. It's one of those shows that, you know, Netflix dumps so much content onto their site these days that it's really hard to stay on top of all their original series. But Dear White People is one that I think everyone should absolutely watch. It's something I think people should prioritize. Uh, the second season is really fantastic. It, uh, season two takes place a few weeks after the events of the season one finale. And the first season 
largely adapted the events of the 2014 movie on which the show is based. But season two, the plot extends beyond that into like totally new uh, territory this time. It focuses on Sam, who is played by Logan Browning in the show. And she is the host of this popular radio show called Dear White People. And she becomes, in season two, the target of an alt-right troll on their Ivy League campus. And so, as you can see, it's sort of like a, a timely... Uh, I think the Atlantic's headline for their review of season two said it was timely and timeless. And I thought that also it was a pretty, uh, you know, appropriate way to describe this season. They never actually mentioned Donald Trump by name, but it really um, digs into the things that he as a president has uh, enabled in our society. And the show is really smart and it's interested in having difficult conversations about race and politics, but it's also hilarious and it has really amazing characters that are easy to get invested in. Uh, the show for me, it's, it feels really personal and the whole cast is awesome. Like I was openly crying during one of the episodes and that doesn't really happen to me with TV shows, especially half hour comedies. Um, so it, it's uh, it's a really, really great piece of work. And Justin Simeon, who is the guy who wrote and directed the movie and he created the show and is the showrunner on it, um, is just a really great. Uh, he, he actually used to be a publicist at Paramount when I first got into this industry he was my contact at Paramount Pictures, like setting up screenings and stuff like that. And it's just so awesome to see him uh, really come into his own as a storyteller and um, and the sh to watch the show come into its own as a show. I mean, I really enjoyed the first season as well, but I think season two improves on the first season in almost every way. And uh, have you been up to anything else? Yeah, I also went to San Diego uh, to go to a wedding. And I, I looked at my wife at one point during this wedding and was like, I've never been to a meme wedding before. Because uh, at one point, the groom rickrolled the bride during the ceremony. It was a very, like, they, they had it uh, <laughs> officiated by somebody who had just got their... Um, uh, I don't know what you would call it, officiating license online. So it was a very like uh, it, it was not a traditional wedding at all. It was fiesta themed, and um, it was just yeah, it was it was a lot of fun. There was they <laughs> the bride and groom got married, and then they they had uh, two dogs. The the couple has two dogs, and so as they turned around to walk out of you know the recessional or whatever you call that when they walked down the aisle after they've already been married, they like. There was like a record scratch almost sound effect from the DJ and uh, and they walked right back up to the altar and then proceeded to do another ceremony, which in which the two dogs got married. And that was a surprise to everybody. We had no idea that was coming. So, yeah, it was a lot of fun. Um, unfortunately, I didn't get a lot of time to spend in San Diego because I just like basically drove in for the wedding and then turned around and left um, the next morning. But uh, but yeah, it was great. And and. San Diego, like the weather is so awesome there. And I really want to go back and explore like the um, I think it's the USS Midway. There's uh, a big um, what what would you call that? A, a ship that has like uh, um, fighter planes and helicopters and all that stuff on top of it. I'm, I'm blanking on the name of the type of ship, Air, but uh, like a aircraft carrier. Yes. Yeah. Thank you. An aircraft carrier. Yeah. And you can like go and explore all that. And there's like a, a Russian submarine that you can pay to go down into. There's all sorts of like maritime museums and stuff. So we walked along the water for a little bit, but we really didn't have time to explore the city. So I definitely want to go back and check out San Diego one of these days. Yeah, um, we we are running uh, long. So let's just get into the news. Uh, let's start off with uh, Solo, a Star Wars story. Uh, we had talked previously about how they're planning some sequels. Ben, are those definitely going to happen? 
Uh, it's not definite. Ron Howard, who's directing Solo, A Star Wars Story, said in an interview with Fandango, I think the fans are going to define all of that. I mean, I think that Lucasfilm and Disney and casting actors and particularly younger actors want to see what happens and build upon that. Certainly they want the commitment from the young actors, but there are no concrete plans. I think there's been a lot of creative energy and now marketing energy going behind this movie. So, uh, yeah, it, it's basically all up to how well Solo, A Star Wars Story performs in theaters. And I guess in good news for them, uh, the movie seems to be doing pretty well in terms of uh, ticket pre-sales at this point. Apparently, uh, we wrote a story over the weekend that Solo, A Star Wars Story, has doubled the ticket pre-sales of Black Panther in its first 24 hours. Black Panther was the highest, uh, or I guess they sold the most tickets in pre-sales in a 24-hour period of any Marvel movie, even beating Avengers Infinity War. And uh, Solo has doubled that. So that's uh, pretty impressive, and I guess it bodes very, very well for Solo's potential box office success. And uh, anybody who (laughs) put that movie pretty high up in their summer movie wager uh, (laughs) rankings is probably rubbing their hands together with glee right now. So we'll have to see how well it performs overall. But it seems like it's probably going to do pretty well. And that likely means that there is going to be at least one more uh, sequel that presumably is going to be set in between the events of Solo and uh, Star Wars A New Hope. Yeah, it's uh, I think it's number three on mine. From what I understand, uh, I I think they saw Donald Glover's, uh, his performance as Lando, and they were like, you know, we need to do a Lando movie. Um, it, it's interesting because you, if you go back a few years and you look at my interview with Kathleen Kennedy from a for uh, the Force Awakens, I think she even says right then that the Star Wars standalone movies would not have sequels. So it's just interesting to see how you know things have changed just a few years later. Um, we should also mention, as we're talking about box office, that Avengers: Infinity Wars the is the fastest movie to reach one billion dollars at the global box office. It did so in eleven days, beating out uh, Star Wars: The Force Awakens, which did it in twelve days in two thousand. 15 um but let's talk a little bit about uh, another movie project that was announced over the weekend that is rambo 5 is actually happening jacob what do we know well what we know is not much except that uh rambo 5 is currently being shopped around the Cannes film market as part of the Cannes film festival uh via producer avi lerner and we know that Sylvester Stallone, who is now 71 years old plans to return there's no word on if he'll return the direct. He did direct uh, the last film, 2008's Rambo. Uh, but what's interesting here is that it confirms the story we heard from a few years ago, which was that this one will see Rambo going up against a Mexican drug cartel. And it's been one of uh, several options for a Rambo 5 plotline in the past decade, even. I remember, I remember there was this one. There was a story about... Uh, Rambo facing uh, a group of super soldiers. There was even at one point Rambo versus an alien. Like that was seriously considered by Sylvester Stallone as a possible uh, sequel. Um, but the Mexican cartel one uh, seems like the kind of thing that Millennium Films, who makes kind of budget action movies, could probably make at a reasonable cost. It allows uh, Rambo to be back uh, home in the United States, or maybe going over the border in this case, after spending the past few films uh, international. Um. I have mixed feelings on this because I like a few of the uh, Rambo movies. I think First Blood, the original one, is exceptional. And it's exceptional because it's more of a drama than an action movie. It gives Stallone a chance to act. It's about PTSD. It's about um, America's responsibility to soldiers and the veterans and how we don't help them. And then two and three are just really goofy action movies. Throw away all 
all semblance of reality and all semblance of drama and care. And the fourth film, Rambo, um, tried to have it both ways. It's an incredibly violent action movie that's also uh, political and has politics on its mind and is about um, war crimes and Rambo fighting people who are committing war crimes and it revels in the gruesomeness of um, truly horrific things happening to innocent people. So that when Rambo kills them, it's even more of a cheer-worthy moment. It's kind of a movie I appreciate because it's doing so many interesting things, but it's uncomfortable in a lot of ways, and not in ways I'm not just, I'm sure that um, uh, Stallone intended as a filmmaker. Um, that's why I'm not so sure I'm comfortable with uh, Stallone making a Rambo Five where he's just shooting a bunch of Mexicans. I mean, even if it's the Mexican cartels, and that is a problem, and they are truly despicable people in Mexico right now. I don't think the culture is right for a 71-year-old conservative icon guns down a bunch of Mexicans. But that's just me being, you know, <laughs> being your friendly neighborhood social justice warrior, as I'm sure a commenter will call me. Uh, <laughs> but you know what? If it's a good Ram movie, it's a good Ram movie. I, I just hope that this is approached responsibly. Ben, do you have any thoughts on this? Uh, no, I think Jacob wraps yeah. it up really well. I think that, uh, that the idea of that last Rambo movie, the 2008 one, your description of that is almost exactly mirrors how I feel about it. I have complicated feelings about that film. I, at the time, I thought it was an awesome action movie, but the more you look at it, the more it's like, ah, man, there's a little something, there's something slightly off about this. So the yeah. idea of, of Stallone coming back at age 71, no less, is um, it, maybe he, sh- he should just let this one go. And we have one last news story today, and that is revolving around Spider-Man Homecoming sequel, which uh, we kind of realize poses a very unique challenge for Disney and Marvel in uh, not only storytelling, but marketing. Um, I guess we're going to say spoiler warning for Infinity War. If you haven't seen Infinity War, uh, there will be some spoilers coming up. Ben, what do we know about this? Yeah, so basically Sony Pictures is sort of in a bind by the events of Avengers Infinity War. So as we know, that film ends or or at least partially ends with uh, Tom Holland's Peter Parker and Spider-Man blowing away into dust in Tony Stark's arms, right? And we know that a sequel to Spider-Man Homecoming is already being planned. I think they're supposed to be shooting it this year. Uh, it has a release date for July 5th, 2019. And people who already knew that sequel was in the works um, – you know, the idea of Tom Holland disappearing in Infinity War, you know, that's not something that's going to stick. So we assume that he's going to be coming back in some way, resurrected or or whatever you want to call it in Avengers 4. But that movie comes out just uh, two months before this Homecoming sequel. So that means that Homecoming is going to or whatever you want to call this Homecoming 2 is going to have to kick up its own marketing campaign sort of right around the same time that Avengers 4 is doing its own marketing campaign and, you know, is going to be out in theaters. So how is it possible that Sony is going to be able to drop a trailer with Spider-Man in it if we don't know as an audience whether or not he, quote-unquote, survives the events of Avengers 4 yet? So, uh, yeah, we wrote this article. Oh, go ahead. And I was going to say, not only that, but uh, Amy Pascal, the producer of the movies, uh, has said previously that, the Spider-Man, the Homecoming sequel, as we'll call it, uh, takes place a few minutes after the events of Avengers 4. So it's not like this is a prequel that happened like, you know, Ant-Man or Captain Marvel, which takes place before Infinity War. This is a movie that directly follows Avengers 4. Um, I don't understand how you could start marketing that movie, you know, before May. Uh, You know, I mean, put aside the fact that, you know, we get to see Peter Parker's still alive 
but how do you market like the storyline if it directly ties into Infinity War? Right, yeah, and and I actually went back and looked, and the first teaser trailer for Spider-Man Homecoming came out a little bit more than six months before Homecoming arrived in theaters. So if Sony is going to stick to that same strategy, then they'll have to put out their first teaser for this Homecoming sequel four months before Avengers 4 comes to theaters. So the only way that I can see this working, where these two studios are going to be able to sort of play ball with each other, is if the trailer for Avengers 4 reveals that Peter Parker slash Spider-Man is alive or in another alternate dimension or something like that. And that seems like it would be one of those kinds of reveals that Marvel Studios would really want people to learn about in the theater. You know, that's not something that they would ideally put in a trailer, right? But I, I wonder if they're going to have to, if they've basically forced their own hand here in order to play ball with Sony. What do you think? Do you you think there's any possibility that they do not have any advertising until after Avengers 4 comes out? Like maybe Avengers 4, one of the post credit sequences directly leads into this uh, storyline in the Homecoming sequel. And then they, you know, they start the the marketing campaign for the Homecoming sequel, you know, the week after Avengers 4 comes out. Uh, Jacob, is that is that possible? No. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> thank you there, there's uh as ben points hey, out i'm just story, playing devil's advocate here guys as ben points out a story uh S- sony deal that marvel has uh sony's the one who makes the money off spider-man solo movies uh marvel's the one who makes the money off of avengers and uh and uh, his other team-up movies so there's no way in hell sony sits back and says okay marvel we'll play your game uh i Part of me um, thinks that the trailers we see for Homecoming 2 or what proper title it's going to have will just completely ignore Infinity Wars over and just sell as a Spider-Man movie. And it'll be confusing, but it'll just exist in that way. I don't see any other way to do it, but there's no way that Sony, even if they're friendly with, even as friendly as you can be with Marvel, uh, takes a back seat and, and, and just um, happily plays along with Marvel's long-term uh, cliffhanger game. It's... And I'm not expecting to. They they shouldn't. But I, I'm very curious to know what those meetings at the marketing department are looking like right now. Um, th- there's also the possibility that they could push back the homecoming sequel to like what September, October, November. That's true. If they delay the release of the movie, then that'll give them a little bit more breathing room. Um, but yeah, like, I, you know, as we were talking about a little bit before in our Slack channel, it's like it's really easy for them, for Marvel Studios to market movies like Captain Marvel and Ant-Man and the Wasp because they, they take place before the events of Infinity War, uh, or at least partially. So it's a whole different ball game when you come into this homecoming sequel, because we know that it takes place after Avengers four. And it's just, it's, I think it's the only instance of, uh, in modern movie history that I can think of where a, a trailer for one movie would be a spoiler for another, because we're getting more and more into this sort of intricately connected, uh, multi cross universe storytelling on a blockbuster scale. And this, this is one of the first instances I can think of, of, this sort of butting up against each other in a way that uh, that drastically affects both movies like this. Yeah, just goes to show you how much Marvel in their cinematic universe is, is changing the way Hollywood works. And I know, you know, we're, we're getting three Marvel movies a year now at this point, but uh, Feige was talking about the possibility that there could be more than three movies a year in the future. Uh, I can't imagine 
if if like you know if we're gonna have that ser- the serialized storytelling on this kind of extent like how they're gonna manage that <laughs> because right now it, it seems like they aren't managing it well but may- maybe that you know that's uh we don't have the uh the, the vision of what it actually is yet. So we'll have to, we'll have to find out and see how they do it. We'll, we'll, we'll keep a close eye on this. Um, but it'll be crazy because I feel like, you know, we've talked about these spoiler phobic people nowadays uh, that, you know, try to avoid marketing and stuff. I can't imagine non spoiler phobic people wanting to watch a Spider Man trailer before seeing Infinity War. Uh, I mean, or uh, Avengers, Avengers 4. 4 yeah. I mean, yeah. So mm-hmm. it's crazy. Anyways, uh, this does it for today's Slash Film Daily. Uh, you can subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, Google Play, Overcast, Spotify, all the popular podcast apps. Please feel free to send us your feedback, questions, comments, concerns to peter at slashfilm.com. Uh, go rate and review this podcast on iTunes. Tell your friends. Spread the word. And we'll see you tomorrow.